Well, over the last few months, we've been, going, we've been doing two Bible studies at the same time, one in the Gospel of Mark and one talking about discipling. So the Gospel of Mark, we're going to finish next week. Matthew McDaniel will be teaching us, and he'll be closing out the subject of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go into another subject in late spring and in the summer, which we'll announce in a few weeks. But today, we're going to talk about discipling. And we have a thing called Church Lead, and all our groups are a part of this once a month are doing uh, discipling. Why? Because we believe that we should be developing disciples in our church, and we should be developing people who can develop disciples. It's a generational thing. As Abraham Lincoln and many others have said, we're only one generation from extinction as a church, and so we need to teach the next generations. And why do we do this? Because Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job, our job, group leader's job is to equip all of us to do the work. You see, we may have five or six pastors here and, you know, others that are directors in ministry and the kids and the youth and different things, but we really have a thousand ministers in this church. And I'm looking at you. You are the ministers of this church. You're not ordained. You haven't been to Bible school, maybe, whatever. That's important for some. But every one of you have an opportunity to disciple other people. And we've been talking about that once a month. So what is a disciple? A disciple is simply this, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. Now, what we want to do is have those disciples, you and me, disciple others, who will then disciple others, who will then disciple others. A great man died yesterday in, uh, in the kingdom of God. His name was George Verwer. Uh, he started Operation Mobilization. He's been in this church many times. A, a good friend of my mom and dad, a very close friend with Francois and uh, Karin and other OMers around the world. This man changed the world. I mean, he's done things, it's just an amazing thing. But what he did was, he discipled people, who discipled people, who have discipled people. I, I see people all over the world, and I'll say, how did you come to Jesus Christ? And there'll be a thread back to this guy named George Verwer. I go, have you ever met George Verwer? They go, oh no, we don't even know who he, what he is, or who, we just know that so-and-so came to Christ because of so-and-so, so-and-so to George Verwer. You see, that's the discipling thing. And he passed away yesterday. It was a sad day. He was a friend of many in this room and across the kingdom of God. But the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So there are five things that we believe makes a disciple. Okay, so you're saying a devoted, wholly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. These five things are, first of all, loving and sharing Jesus. A disciple loves Jesus, that's pretty obvious. You wouldn't be a disciple if you didn't love the one you're the disciple of. But also, the Bible talks about sharing and sending out. You can use big words like evangelism and all those things, but it's simple this, simply this, is you know Jesus and you tell others about Jesus. You love Jesus, you tell others about Jesus. We have way overcomplicated this thing. What are our methods? How do you do it? People call me up and go, Bill, what are your methods? I go, once I was lost, now I'm found. 
you're lost, let's get you found. You know what I mean? It's like we've overcomplicated this thing. Just talk to people about Jesus. They don't like Jesus, talk to them more about it. They don't like Jesus, pray for them. They don't like Jesus, keep praying for them. And all of a sudden, they'll start asking you about Jesus. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Number two, we've talked about this. Number two is living out your calling. The fact that all of us have been called. If you're a disciple, you've been called by God. We spent a lot of time on this. If you want more on this, you can go to our website and go to Church Lead and just click calling. We have whole topics on this, talks on this, paperwork on this. We can help you out. The third one that we went over uh, last month was growing in character. The fact that your character is important. Before you become a believer, your character can be anywhere, but after you become a believer, it's important. And here's where the problem comes. We see people that have great talents and low character. And this is why we've seen problems in the church and in Christian ministries, is we take people that are very good at what they do, but don't really consider their character. And all of a sudden you have a pastor who's a great orator, a great public speaker and has bad character. And what do you have in between there? You've got that arbitrage between character down here and calling here is called an eventual fall. And people go, how did that happen? And I'll go, well, the character was down here and the calling was up here. We need to make sure the calling is either equal to character, I mean, character is equal to calling or even higher. We can build the other, we need to build character. Now the fourth one is the one we're gonna talk about today, which is living in community. I'll come back to that in a minute. Then the fifth one is using the gifts God has given us. We've got to realize God has given each one of us gifts and we need to use it. We'll talk about that next month. So let's talk about living in community. Now, as we do this, I've got to bring some context to this. So many of you have come to our church over the last four, five, six years. Some have come since COVID. Some of you started joining us in COVID because we were meeting and other places weren't. And we appreciate that all of you are here and how you got here, everyone has a story. But I want to share the vision of our church and the commitments of our church and show how it plays out with community. So first of all, the vision of our church is very simple. There's three things that are part of the vision. Pursuing God, building community, and engaging the world. If you are a part of this church, you are gonna be called towards pursuing God. We'll talk about that in a few moments. You're gonna be called to build community. That's what today is about. And then also engaging the world. In other words, taking it from this room or from that TV if you're on live stream and getting it out to everybody else. Our church is an outward focused church. We love the inward, we love the upward, we love the outward because it's not just about us. We are not an island. We used to be an island, we are no longer an island. We are a place that we send out people. So we have pursue God, build community, engage the world. Now our commitments underneath all this, we'll call it the foundation are threefold as well. It's that we are Christ-centered. And you always, you go, people go to me, Bill, aren't all churches Christ-centered? The answer is no, they are not. In fact, many churches are not Christ-centered. Last week, two weeks ago, I was inviting someone to the Easter service 
to the resurrection service, and they came, and um, I said, I knew the guy, not a believer, and I had prayed for his mother. She was a believer, and she had died about five years ago, and I had prayed for her during the time and prayed for him, and he knew that, and I said, this is how I got him to church. I mean, God got him to church, but I said, your mother would want you to be in church. Okay, that's guilt. That is guilt 101. I don't do guilt very often, but to get people in church on Easter Sunday, I used a little guilt. Okay, I confess. And he said these words. He said, we're going to church in Delray to the Unity Church. I said, okay, you need to come to a Trinity Church. And we had a good laugh about it, and he came. There's a difference between a Unity Church and a Trinity Church. We are a Trinity church. A unity church believes in God and that there are multiple ways to get to God, right? It's called universalism, but they still call it a church, a unity church. And I'm not judging the one in Delray, but unity churches kind of allow anybody to come and as long as they say there is a God, they can get there any way they want. We don't believe that. We believe there's a God and there's one way to get to God. It's called Jesus Christ. That's why we're Christ-centered. People go, aren't you God-centered? Of course we're God-centered, but we're Christ-centered because Jesus Christ, we believe, is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's the key difference with a Christ-centered church and a God-centered church. Of course, if you're Christ-centered, you're also God-centered, but not necessarily if you're God-centered. God-centered churches love the Psalms. They love the Proverbs. They don't quite look like the harder passages, like take up your cross and follow me kind of passages. They like the other passages. I like those passages too of walking by still waters. And I like those passages. I'd rather walk by still waters than take up the cross also. But there's both of it in there. So a foundation is that we're Christ-centered. The second part is that we believe in authentic community. So what you'll notice is in our vision, pursue God, build community, engage the world. The middle of our foundation is also also authentic community. We believe so much in community that we've put it at the top, the vision, and at the bottom, the foundation. The middle of this is authentic community. And then the last part, which we won't talk about today, we're gonna spend some time in this another day, is whole life generosity. We believe that when you are called by God, loving Jesus, all the things we've talked about, growing in character, that there's a generosity that comes from you. Why is that? Because God, we believe, God gives to us so that we can keep it. No, God gives to us so that we can give it out. That's the truth. That's why you have to share Jesus because God's given you the truth, you gotta give it out. God's given you talent, you gotta give it out. Living out your calling and using your gifts. God's given you resources, God's given you, yes, money. You need to give it out. We are not to hoard. We are not hoarders, we are generous people. We are doing that and that's a part of the foundation of who we are because if we are going to engage the world, We have to do it with whole life generosity. So as we pursue God, we're Christ-centered. As we're building community, we want authenticity. As we're engaging the world, we want whole life generosity. That's the picture of who we are at the top and down at the bottom. Now the question is, how do we do it? There's the in-between. 
And our method is very simple. It's threefold, pretty simple. We are a simple church in that way. Number one is there's your personal relationship to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. There's a personal side to this. The reality is you need to have time alone with God. You need to pray. You need to have a personal relationship with your creator. Because at the end of the day, when you stand in front of your creator, I'm not going to be standing next to you. Your wife, husband, child, parent, whoever's your spiritual leader around you that you know is not going to be with you. You are going to be with yourself, and you want your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? You don't want my name and then a parenthesis plus you. The parentheses don't work in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I know I'm being kidding here, and it's not a funny thing, but the reality is you need a personal relationship. I need a personal relationship with the Almighty God that comes through Jesus Christ. And we need to grow in that area. The second part is groups in, at this church. So there's a personal. The second part is groups. You see Carl coming up here and Cameron coming up here and all our website. It's all about groups. We have 65 or more groups that we do every week or every other week, depending when it meets. Groups that come together to serve, to help, to equip, to do Bible studies, to volunteer, to serve, to sing, to help outside. We've got serving people. I'm looking out here. Just the other day, it took over 200 people last Sunday to do that service. You think, oh, it was the 10 up here and me and Clay and Elizabeth and a few of the people down in the kids. It was 200 of us. 200. It was actually more than 200. It's about 100, over 100 on a regular. I think it was about 250 people that were a part of volunteering. You are the reason why last week happened. It wasn't Elizabeth and me and Clay standing up here doing it. We were just doing our part of the whole. We were part of the 250 because it's groups. And then the final part is the congregational part. These are the big events. This is where we're at today. We come together in the big events. We have up on the rooftop. We have worship nights. We have events across the street that might have two, three, four, five hundred. We do secret church. We do all these big events, women's retreats and all that, and that's all good. But here's the point. Most churches deal with the personal and the big and not in having relationships. They're good with having relationship with God and having relationship with the church, but not having relationship with each other. And today that's what I wanna talk about. So I wanna give you five ways to have authentic community. Can I do that? And this is what we do. Number one, the first one is this. Proximity, proximity. What is proximity? Proximity means we come together, proximate. It just means we come together. Now, can I tell you, you don't have community because of proximity, but you can't have community without it. Coming together. We're coming together today, and we're all sitting together, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're having community. What we're having is just a big event. When you go to a concert, you go to a football game, you go to the theater, you go, you're in a room or in a stadium with a lot of people, but it's not necessarily community. You're proximate with people, but you're not necessarily 
together, but you gotta be together. So proximate means you need to be together. But you need a second one, and this is huge, hospitality. There needs to be a coming together. The Bible is huge on hospitality. Why? Krish Candia, a British um, guy, a sociologist, Christian guy, has said this. You cannot have hospitality and prejudice at the same time. You can't. It's like you can't be humble and proud at the same time. You can't be greedy and generous at the same time. You can be greedy and generous at different times, but you can't be hospitable. Why? Because when I show hospitality to someone, I am giving of myself and I'm deferring myself down and pulling them up a little. And it can be as simple as a cup of coffee. It can be as simple as a greeting. It can be as simple as a meal. It doesn't have to be big, but to show hospitality is very important. Jesus was criticized because people were showing hospitality to people they didn't like. Jesus would bring people together and showing hospitality and the disciples were showing hospitality and Mary Magdalene was showing hospitality and the people got upset because they knew you can't be prejudiced and show hospitality at the same time. So they wanted to be prejudiced so they didn't want you to be able to show hospitality. Do you see that? They didn't want Jesus showing hospitality because they knew Jesus could not be prejudiced towards those people. They didn't have a clue he was God, so he wouldn't be prejudiced anyway. But they thought, why is he doing this? You and I need to show hospitality. And when we show hospitality, we break down the walls of prejudice. And when you are in a small group together, a group of eight, 10, 12, 15 people, and you're around serving, you're around eating, you're around the Bible, you're around uh, equipping on some issues that you might be having, you're around praying, there's a sense of hospitality. The leader and those people are showing hospitality. And when you show hospitality, I mean, what is the, the root word for hospital? It's hospitality. The ultimate in serving somebody is a hospital where they have great needs. Hospitality is what we have to do. So you have this um, proximity, you have hospitality. That's not enough though. Third one is this, relationships. Building relationships. We kid ourselves if we think we can build relationships with a thousand people. You can't. People go, oh, and, and I gotta tell you, the, um, the whole concept of Facebook, Besides the bad part of it, you know, and I'm not on Facebook, so if you ever get a message from me on Facebook, it's not from me, because I'm not on Facebook, but it's that you have, fr how many friends do you have on Facebook? Oh, I have 800, I have 1,000, I have 200, I have 5 million. It's like, you don't have that kind of friends. The kind of friends you have, you're counting on one, two, three, four hands, Right? and yet they've stolen the word friend from us. I tell you, words are getting stolen all the time from us. I can't stand it. But friend has been stolen because now I have a million friends. Or worse, I have a million likes. What does that mean? Goodness gracious, we need relationship. God has called us to relationship. At the end of the day, Jesus had a relationship with a dozen people and he had a secondary relationship with 70 others. 
This wasn't that big. The church didn't start with a million people. It started with 12, and then 70, and then quickly 3,000, and then it went from there. Do you see that? It's an amazing thing. Number four, and this is important, shared experiences. Doing things together. It's important that we do things together. Yes, we worship together, but we should be doing things together. You remember somebody who's a good friend, you remember doing something with them, don't you? You remember that event you did with him or her, that event you did with that child or that parent or something else. And it's quite interesting that we remember these things so much because of shared experiences. And then finally, the fifth one, and this is the one I wanna spend a little time on, is peacemaking. When you get people together, one of two things will happen. Peace will reign or you will separate. Why do we have all these churches around? I mean, these denominations, and I'm not mocking denominations, but you know, there's, how many type of Baptist churches are there? How many type of Presbyterian churches are there? How many type of Lutheran churches are there? How many type of Methodist churches are there? And some have split for good reasons and some have split, you know, and it's just not, it's just odd because we don't know how to make peace. So, what is the key to this? The key to peacemaking and the key to developing community is confession and forgiveness. If you have confession and forgiveness in a group, it goes a long way because none of us are perfect, are we? If you're in a group more than a couple of weeks, you will have made a mistake and you may have even sinned in that group, who knows what. And here's the great danger, and I want you to remember this if you walk away with nothing else. Coming into community without confession is the great danger. We're not talking about a Rotary Club, you know, the Junior League, they're all good, but they come into community for different reasons. We are coming into community because of our relationship to Jesus Christ, and we must have confession. And you go, well, but they're all hypocrites. And you know my story about my mother who just turned 90 last on Easter day. Uh, what a blessing that was. And uh, she's doing great. And hello, mom. We love you. She usually sits over here now. She used to sit over there, but she's got to be by the elevator now. And I remember growing up, we had our neighbors and my mom and dad loved and shared Jesus with our neighbors. So the daughter came to Christ, the husband came to Christ, and the wife was so recalcitrant, she hated us, she hated her husband, she hated her daughter, because they all came, to, we all were Christians and followers of Christ, and she did not want to do it. So one day, my very quiet mother went to her and invited her to church again, and she said, there's nothing but hypocrites at your church. And you know what my mom said? One more won't matter. She's still praying for that lady. That didn't get her into church, by the way. <laughs> Unless we confess we're a bunch of hypocrites, there has to be confession a part of making groups and making church. So let me talk about four aspects of confession. And this, we did two of the aspects today as we were singing, but I wanna give four. Two of them are towards God, and two of them are towards each other. 
Can we do that? And this, we talked about it last week. I didn't refer to as that. And we sang about it today. But number one, towards God, confession of our sins. This is the negative side of confession. This is the part we don't like to do. But ultimately, if you want to have a right relationship to God, you have to confess your sins. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see that? There is a confession that is required. John 8 was the one I did last week with the lady who was in adultery, right? What did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. And what he was saying is, I forgive you. There was confession. We don't know the whole story. We don't know all the words that were done between the adultering lady that was on the ground and Jesus standing there. But there was confession and forgiveness that was done. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. We must have confession of our sins. This is not popular It's not in our culture. People either want to just kind of hide our sins or don't say we don't sin. I don't know what the thing is, but here's the reality. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, I hope. And I'm not pointing a finger at you because I am a sinner as well. We are all sinners and we are saved not by our lack of sinning, but we are saved by grace, right? Amazing grace. It's just, it's amazing. Number two, the positive side of confessing to God is confessing our worship, our belief, our faith. This is what we were singing about today, right? A mighty fortress is our God. We're confessing our belief. This is what we do in large groups. We can do it in small groups. We can do it personally. We need to confess. And last week, I used the illustration of Thomas, who sinned, when he had no belief or he doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. And what did he do afterwards? He confessed his belief to God. Elizabeth uh, always talks about prayer. And one of the thing, one of the great ways of praying is praying back scripture to God. You're confessing to God what he already knows. And he loves that. Just like you love when uh, someone comes to you and thanks you for something you already know you did. And you already know you did it, and you already know it was good that you did it, but you like to hear someone else that you did it for tell you, not out of pride, but just out of a sense that they understand what you did for them. And God wants that. He wants us. Peter did it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter said to Christ. And do you ever stop when you pray and just thank God for who he is? Or are all our prayers about what I can be blessed with? Jeremiah was singing, he said, I'm not here to ask for blessings today, Lord. Did you hear that part of the song? That's the part we don't like. We like the other parts of the song. But that part we don't like because we want God's blessing. And there's nothing wrong with having God's blessing. But please understand, there's more to our relationship to God than begging for blessing. You want your kids, you want your grandkids, you want your friends to come to you and have a relationship with you, not just always asking you for things. And God wants that relationship as well. Oh, yeah, he'll give you things. He's the giver of all good gifts. No doubt about it. So as we 
do this with God, there's the negative confession, I am a sinner, I need forgiveness. There's the positive confession, I confess my belief. You can call it, I think, what worship is when we sing. You go, why? And you don't have to sing to worship, but part of worship is singing. We sing confessions to God. A mighty fortress is our God. Well, can I tell you, he already knows he's a mighty fortress. We're not telling him anything he doesn't know, but we're confessing that we believe that he is a mighty fortress. See the difference? So we're confessing our sin. That's what Jeremiah let us in. The rest of the group let us in. We're confessing the mightiness of God. And we need to do both. Now, there's also this way, though. So, number three, so the second part, the first two is towards God, the second two are towards each other. We need to confess our sins to each other. This is the negative part. Like, we need to confess to God. We need to confess to other people. The book of James says, confess your faults one to another. So, here's the point. When you sin, pretty much if it's outside of your mind, the sin is against two, th- two people. The sin is against God, whether it's in your mind or not, it's against God. But then it's also against someone or some group of people as well. It's against someone. And so when you confess your sins, you confess them this way, and you know what? You got to gulp real deep and confess them this way. You have to apologize. And I tell you what, it is hard to do, but you have to do it. You have to be known as a person who confesses your sins. And then the other part of that is to pray for each other as well as a part of that. Now, but the fourth one is this, and this is the part we kind of don't do, and that is we need to confess our faith, our belief, our worship to each other. In other words, that's the sharing. A part of this is I need to confess to you. That's what the word confess means, just to give out, confess to you that I believe in Jesus Christ. I've told you many times the story of when I was working at this um, large real estate company and um, two different people told me after I had put something in a letter that they were Christians and had never told anybody at their work. And they had worked there for a year, their whole career, they'd worked there and never, no one knew at work that they were followers of Jesus Christ. That's a tragedy, my friends. Others may not believe it, but they at least need to know you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Do not be embarrassed that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Don't be embarrassed about it. We need to worship in community. We need to love and share Jesus as well. Now turn to Acts chapter two. Because as you're turning, Acts chapter two, verse 42. Acts two, verse 42. There's a problem that that occurs in people Uh, Sociologists call it a cultural freeze. In other words, we are frozen in a moment in time. Some people came to Christ and they're frozen in that point in time. Others are growing, up, down a little, whatever. But there is a freeze that occurs. And the freeze that is occurring in our country now, among many others, I could give you a 
five or six cultural freezes, but it's we have moved from community to individualism. Our faith is to be private. Our faith is to be personal. Our faith is to be over here. It's okay to have faith, but don't have it anywhere else. You see, we've moved from community to individual. Our society is putting the fence lines closer and closer and closer and closer and closer together. And if we cross those fence lines, we have crossed some thing that gets everybody upset. What do I mean by this? Let me just lighten it up a little for a moment. My wife's family's from the island of Jamaica. Anybody from Jamaica? Come on, raise that hand. Okay, there's probably a couple dozen of you. I love Jamaica. So my father-in-law immigrated when Elizabeth and her family were young. And um, when he came, he brought some money with him, obviously. You gotta live. And so some of that money was US dollars. Some of it was Jamaican dollars put the Jamaican dollars in a safe and forgot about it. And a few years ago, just before he died, Elizabeth and I were going to Jamaica and he goes, hey, I got some money for you, some Jamaican dollars. Why don't you just go spend it? I go, how much is it? He goes, 400 bucks. I go, $400, this is fantastic. It's gonna pay for all the food and all the stuff while we're there. We were staying with friends, so I had no hotel bill. It was all great. So they were all in $1 bills which I didn't care, I mean, who am I? I'm stuffing my pockets and my duffel, my backpack. So we go for our first time out and you're not Jamaican, so you don't know, one of the great um, places to eat, uh, food to eat in Jamaica are patties. And tasty patties are some of the best in the world. If you don't know what a patty is, ask a Jamaican, because this is not about food today. But I go to the tasty, I call them tasty treats, but the tasty patty store. And there it is, and we order a bunch of them, and I start pulling out my dollars, right? And the girl behind starts laughing. I go, why are you laughing? She goes, I haven't seen a Jamaican dollar bill in, I don't think I've ever seen one. I go, why not? She goes, because that's worth about a penny. (laughs) And which is a tragedy, But the reality was I had $4. I had $4, which barely paid for one tasty patty. I was in a cultural freeze. I thought what was true in 1976 when they immigrated was true in 2010. Not so. We think what is true when certain things, when we came to... It's not. And what's been happening is we're moving from community. The word community, by the way, and I didn't define it. The word community, real simple, calm means with, and unity means unity. With unity, you have a group of people that have unity. That's why we don't call it a disunity group. That's without unity. We call it a community group. It's so important. So now let's go to Acts 2.42. This is one of the early communities in the Christian faith. In fact, it probably was the earliest after the resurrection. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves. Okay, we already know it's a group of people. They're the they and they're the themselves. To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. In the first half of the first sentence of this, I've got a community three times, 
They're they, they're themselves, they're a fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. We know that the breaking of bread is what you do when you come together. The breaking of the bread, communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever different groups call it different things. It's the coming together of people because of Jesus and remembering what Jesus did. So already in the first verse, four different times, actually five if I include prayers, he's talking about a community of people doing certain things. You see, the early church was a community of people. The later church is an assembly of a group of people many times. And he says, and awe came upon every soul. So there again, multiple people and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed, again, there's the multiple all, who were together and had all things common. Most people read this verse and want to prove communism or socialism because they had all things in common. Read the rest of the New Testament. They did not have all things in common. What this verse is about is the community of the saints. This verse is about the people being together and doing things together. And yet now we have this individualism and I have people say, you know, I love to worship God on the beach. Well, I love to worship God on the beach too. Nothing wrong with that, but that's the, not the only time to worship God. You need to worship God with people. God has called us to do this thing with people. And he's called this group of people the church. And Jesus is coming back for the church because we as a group are called the bride of Christ. You see that? And people go, Jesus is coming back for me. Well, that's a pretty egotistical thing to say. Jesus is coming back for the church of which I am a part of the church. So yes, he's coming back for me, but realize he's coming back for me because I'm a part of the group called the church. And Jesus is coming back to redeem and to marry the church. And there's gonna be a big hospitable moment called the marriage supper of the lamb at the end of the day, right? Where we're all coming together and having a feast with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and the bride of Christ, us. He's not having it with Bill and Elizabeth and Jesus by themselves. George Verwer, God bless him, probably one of the greatest Christians who have lived in our generation. He's not up there by himself. He's up there as a part of the church. And you and I are a part of the church, are we not? As a group. So how do we live this out? How do we live it out? We gotta come to a close here. Get in fellowship with a group. It's as simple as that. And here's the thing, people come to me and go, I love your church. And people, it's, I said, it's not my church, by the way. It's your church. But they go, I love your church. And then some people go, you know, I love what you do, but I just can't get connected to your church. And I can tell you the difference between the two. This one's in a group and this one isn't. Because if you only come here to hear a good worship set and hear a good word, there are hundreds of places in South Florida to do that. And you might like it for a while here and you're gonna like it somewhere else some other time. But get involved in a group. If you don't know where to get involved, start on Wednesday night. There's a woman's group across the street and there's a men's group in the lobby right here. Just start somewhere. There's 65 groups here. 
There's got to be one for you. And when you do it, your life will change. It is life-changing what's happened. Because I can't change your life in an hour on a Sunday morning. Clay can't change your life in 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. We can help you. We can help you take a step. But you need to do it with other brothers and sisters. And you need to help. And you need to serve. And you need to use your gifts in groups. That's why people go, I just want to do what I want to do. Well, okay, do what you want to do out there. But when you're ready to do it in a group, we're here to help you because we believe we need to do it in community. So let me give you a closing thought on this. I know this sermon has been for Christians, followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're here today, I am so glad you're here. Thank you for coming because this is the day of all days of the year you shouldn't be in church. It's low Sunday. This is when only believers come to church. So we're glad you are here. I am so glad you're here in church. Consider a relationship to Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Coming into a group doesn't make you a believer. Coming into a group is what you should do after becoming a believer. If you want to be in a group before you're, and check it out, I'm happy with that. But please understand this, you need a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. We talked about it last week. You need to know Christ. Not know him like I knew Margaret Thatcher or I know so-and-so, but know him in a true and living way as your personal savior. Afterwards, there'll be people up here to help you. We'll pray. But also, for all of you that know him, out back, there are three tables. There's a table about the men's thing. There's a table about that Bible study called Secret Church, and there's a table in the middle that will tell you everything else. It's called a connection desk. We want to connect you. Why? Let me share. At the turn of the last century, the 1900s, into the early 1900s, um, in the country of Wales, Wales is part of Great Britain, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, England. Wales um, are very proud people, I can say, because I have a little Welsh in me, and so I understand that. And Wales, if, if you've ever been there, it's little villages, and there's all these hills everywhere. It's just a beautiful countryside, and it's beautiful. And I always wonder, what's the difference between a hill and a mountain? What's the difference? You know, that's a hill, but that's a mountain. And they're not like the Alps Mountains or the Rocky Mountains. They're just these little knolls that come and go. And there is a difference between a hill and a mountain in Wales. And the difference is below 1,000 feet is a hill, and 1,000 feet and above is a mountain. So there was one um, town called Taft's Well, I think, uh, back at the turn of the 1900s. And it was about the time they had a mountain behind them because it was like 1,000 feet up. And everybody else, all the other little towns had hills behind there, you know, because the city would, the town would be below and the hill or the mountain. And so here's all these hills and mountains and this Taft's Well was excited that they were in front of a mountain and everybody else was in front of hills. And so the uh, British come along and they have all this topographical new seismic things and they realize that it's only 994 feet high. <laughs> that their mountain is now a hill. They were not happy people. Robert Munger tells this story. He's uh, the great grandson of the guy who did something about it. He got the town together and said, town, we are a community. 
let us all take a bucket up the hill. (laughs) And they did. They took a bucket line and took buckets of dirt up the hill and raised the hill seven feet. And here's the point. They walked up a hill but came down a mountain. And my friends, there's a lot of hills in this world, but we want to climb the mountains, don't we? And you can only do it with other people. You can only do it with other people. You came in here, you might have been trying to scale the hill, but I tell you what, we're here to help you get up the mountain and back down. There are mountains for us to climb. I don't know what it is. Some groups serve. Some groups work with people that are going through issues. Other groups are studying just God's word and learning more about it. Other groups are working in parenting skills and financials. I don't know what it is you want to be a part of. You say, I just want to serve. Okay. Help us take the hills around here. We need to take the hills of Boca Raton. And you go, there are no hills in Boca Raton. Yes, there are. There's a hill of unbelief. There's a hill of hatred. There's a hill of cynicism. There's a hill of conspicuous consumption. There's all kinds of hills around here, and we need to take those hills, but we cannot do it alone. We've got to create a bucket line of people that are willing to take the hills and make them God's mountain. Amen? Let's do it together. So let's pray.